0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the Simple Electronics podcast. I'm your host Dan from the Simple Electronics YouTube channel. Today's episode is brought to you by PCBway, but more about that later on because right now I've got a very special guest, Greg from Greg's Maker Corner. How are you, Greg? Hey, doing great, Dan. It's good to be here. Well, Greg, I found your channel quite a quite a while ago, but it took me a while to reach out to you cuz well I couldn't find your contact info first and foremost. Um <laughs> But other than that, um, I would say there are two kinds of YouTube channels. There are like pure entertainment YouTube channels and pure like reference material YouTube channels. And when you really need it, those reference material channels are the best place to go. And, um, and I feel like that's what your channel is. Uh, but so can you just explain to us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, thanks, Dan. I think that's a great way to describe my channel, and uh, I, I purposefully intend it to be that way, so that it's great to hear, uh, hear you see it. Uh, basically, it's it's good to hear that perspective. Um, my, a little bit about my background. I live in the Greater Toledo, Ohio metropolitan area, and that's about a, an hour south or so of Detroit or Windsor, for, for the Canadians listening, and I know there's probably a few. Um I'm pretty active on YouTube and Twitter, and of course my channel is Greg's Maker Corner. If you Google that, you can find me. Most of the content on my channel is around 3D printing, but I also have a lot, uh, especially if you dig, dig deep in there, around electronics projects. And I know, uh, I don't know how much you've seen on that, but I've got some projects like uh, SCARA arms and uh, game controllers, custom PCBs. PCBWay is also a sponsor of my channel, so I think we're we're in good company here. We are indeed, and in fact, uh, we had a little
0: bit of a pre-chat, and uh, I think we have a little bit more in common than I first thought, so yeah. this is going to be great. Now, um, I can't break the cardinal rule of podcasting, so you use the technical term. We have to talk about that first, so um, can you explain to the audience what a SCARA arm is? Oh
1: sure, um, I I can kind of put it maybe in my terms, uh, which may not be official, but basically, if you if you Google it, uh, it's it's a a scare or scar, however your persuasion. Uh, it's a type of industrial robot, and the uh, the acronym technically stands for Selective Compliance Assembly Robot Arm. But what what I what that really is is it's uh and how I've used it is I put together a simple electronics control board uh, printed a 3d printed a bunch of parts bought some belts bought some motors and hooked it up to my macbook and from there i can control the robot arm with my mac and move it around grab things uh, pick them up drop them it's it's a really simple uh, model that i've got but you'll find them a lot in industrial applications of course in factories and things And, and that's just something that's always interested me so that was one. I think I did that project maybe two or three years ago. And I did catalog the build process on my channel. And uh, I'm pretty sure you can still buy the kits if you're interested. Yeah, Scara arms are, are super cool. I mean, they're kind of like the,
0: the 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 sort of like gold standard of like cool robotics stuff. Um, yeah. I, have you yeah. seen the 3D printers that are based on a Scara arm?
1: I have, yeah. And, and I for a hot minute, I had considered building one and i I think it was one of those where it's really interesting. When I looked into it, some of the accuracy, this is probably a couple of years ago, but some of the the amount of accuracy and the components for the, for what you paid just wasn't quite as good as some of the conventional three d printer uh, uh, kinematic design. So I decided, eh, I think i'll I'll hold off a few years and see how the technology develops. yeah. I think
0: for hobby level components um, and hobby level, you know, 3D printed joints, it is a little bit uh, on the, you know, has, a, it has quite a bit of play in them. Um, yes. But I think recently there's a lot of uh, YouTube channels that have been experimenting with these, Um, these types of drive units and these types of joints that you typically only see in like really high-end industrial stuff or engineering textbooks. Like um, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember there's like wave drive um, sort of transmissions and stuff like that. So I wonder if, if we looked it up again, if there is a new type of like SCARA design that, that uses those kinds of fancy joints and, maybe it's a little bit better, but yeah, mostly I would want it as a showpiece, right? Just as to, Hey, look at this cool thing.
1: Yeah. And they are so fun to play with. I never got around to building in automation for mine, but that was, you know, maybe adding some sensors and, and whatnot where you can, uh, do a little more detection and, and automation, but there, it's just amazing that you can spend a couple hundred dollars and, and, be able to build one of these, right, with off-the-shelf, for the most part, off-the-shelf parts.
0: Yeah, I, I find this is part, the, the part of the maker community um, of which I'm really happy to be a part of is the part that most of the design work uh, goes into 3D printed parts, and so you can use sort of off-the-shelf bearings and you let your imagination sort of go with the with the 3D printed parts, and then you can have this complex mechanism that started off as a spool of filament, no different (laughs) than Weed Whacker line, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing how how the technology's come. So I had a conversation with my last guest about Voron 3D printers, and um, I almost bought a Voron at that point. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't need a Voron. However, I want a Voron. Yes. Uh, Uh, I know (laughs) the feeling. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, you know the feeling. Um, so, for most of my listeners uh, that are the typical sort of uh, hobbyist, entry level hobbyist, who maybe are looking at an Ender three for Christmas or or a Prusa for Christmas, um, can you just explain? What the difference is between owning like something like an Ender three or a Prusa versus like having a Voron? And let's just focus on the machine itself, not quite the build, just just the machine. What's the difference yeah, between definitely. a base level machine and a Voron?
1: Yeah, that's a great great question, and I I think for most folks who are just wanting to get an outcome um, from from a printer, a three D printed part, buying off the shelf is definitely Probably the way you want to go. To be completely honest, it's a it's a good way to start out and get introduced into three D printing in the hobby. The reason for that is you're not going to have to focus on the mechanics and how things work and how things need to go together. Uh, It's a lot. You know, we were talking in the pre chat a little bit about drones and airplanes and things of that nature, and it's very similar to what happened maybe I don't know ten years ago when pretty much the only way to build a quadcopter was to put one together for a while, and I don't know if you remember the multi-Wii days, but uh, getting back into hacking Nintendo Wiis and pulling out the gyros and, and doing all that. But in that time, I, I would say 3D printers are very similar. Where 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 it's at now is you can pretty much go in and rather than build one, you can go and buy one. And 3D printing started out very similarly where uh, to drones is where uh, back in the day, there were some folks that were just experimenting and putting together uh, putting together machines. And it really wasn't commercially available until about maybe five to seven years later. So that's really where machines like Prusa's, uh, I would throw Bamboo out there as well. They're kind of a, a new upstart as far as the out-of-the-box pre-built uh, printers. And then, of course, you have your Creality Enders, like you mentioned. When you get into... Uh, so when you're comparing between a pre-built... 3d printer versus a, a voron or something similar to that you're re- it's really going to come down to what do you want to get out of it right so what what is the outcome are you really looking to um, just get something get a piece of plastic printed or do you want to learn ha- about the mechanics and about the engineering and about the electronics behind the machine and i think that's obviously this is a simple electronics so there's probably a little bit of that uh that desire to dig in a little bit. And I think that's, that's the type of machine. Uh, a, a Voron is the, is definitely more geared towards the target audience there. So hopefully that makes sense.
0: Yeah, of course it does. Um, but what about like the, the finished machine, um, like the capabilities, let's say uh, of like a Voron 2.4 and like uh you compared it to like a Prusa,
1: let's say the, the new one, what is yep. it? two point the Mark IV Mark IV, yeah. there we go. Yeah, I mean you're going to essentially get the same features with a Voron 2.4 that you would with a Prusa Mark IV. A Prusa Mark IV is going to come in a pretty simple to you can buy them pre-built or you can buy them where you assemble them. But either way you're going to get a, a really solid printer. I I've owned gosh at least three or four Prusas. Most of them I built over the years. But they are a very polished end product that has a lot of great support. Uh, a Voron 24, you're going to get a, a much bigger machine. Um, typically, it's going to be about a 300 millimeter build volume, 300 cubed. Uh, you're also going, and whereas the the Mark 4, I want to say, is around 250 millimeter uh, build cube, but don't quote me on that. But it, so it's a little bit smaller. It's also a different kinematic. It's a core XY, uh, the Voron 24 is versus the more of what we would call a bed slinger kinematic for the Prusa. Xys are going to be more compact they're going to fit in the space a little bit better uh, and they're going to be more efficient from that perspective but in terms of outcomes you're going to be able to print pretty much the same level of quality on both of those machines yeah um so I was I'm I was basing
0: my want on the voron on I think it was Thomas sen landerer who said um, that the voron he built and it took a lot of effort to build they are not simple builds for anyone listening. Um, and, and we're going to get to it because Greg has built a couple of them, um, (laughs) more than a few. Um, but he built it and he said he hasn't touched it ever since there is Hmm. not really much to do with it. He says he sends files over and the machine just does his thing. And then like two hours later, he goes and pulls out a completed part. This is, this is how he sold it. Um, Hmm. A little yeah. bit like what you're seeing people who are reviewing the Bamboo Labs. Yes. They're saying the same same sorts of things about the Bamboo Labs uh, X1 Carbon. They're saying they just send prints to it and it just does its thing. It just works. And it just I mean, works, like yeah. Like Apple.
1: Yeah, and, and to be completely honest with you, there there is, again, from an outcome perspective, yes. You are going to, with a Prusa, with a Bamboo, with a Voron, you're all going to, I think all of those machines, of course, in the case of the Voron or anything DIY, it's going to somewhat depend on the skill of the builder, but you should be able to get it to a point where it is very reliable and it and it just works. And I think that's true of all three of those machines. The difference with the bamboo, though, is it it is all proprietary. All the parts that you're going to find are going to be parts that you have to buy from bamboo if you want to fix it or replace it. And pretty much with any of these printers... You're going to have to replace and do maintenance eventually. I would say, in my experience, it's at least a thousand hours into the printers. So that that sounds like a lot, but it's it's probably not. You know, if your average print takes, uh, I should do some simple math here. But if your average print is maybe three hours long, um, how many parts is that? About 333. So after you print 333 things, you might be looking at doing some maintenance. So let's look at your uh, specific uh, Voron
0: printers. What kind of stuff have you had to replace due to maintenance so far?
1: So I'm about a 1,000 hours in to my Voron 2.4, and and I'll caveat this by saying I have a lot of printers, and I tend to go through a lot of printers, and I usually will either upgrade them or sell them or trade them or get rid of them before I really need to do a whole lot with them. But so far on the Voron 2.4, there's very little I've had to do. I think um, I may have replaced the belts, and that was kind of my own fault. Uh, so the belts, when I installed them, um, I noticed there was a little bit of, uh, some of the belt was rubbing off, and I think I had I had to replace a couple of the printed parts because they were a little bit warped. So that was kind of, you know, I, I mentioned the skill of the builder uh, kind drive of drives some of the quality of, of the prints and the, the build, and that, that would be a case where I probably could have done a little bit better. But yeah, the belts, normally that's not something you need to replace until probably a couple thousand hours. Other things that you might find replacing, though I haven't on mine, would be things like the heater cartridge, the thermistor, all um, the, oh, the, the print build surface. I have had to replace that, but that, that's pretty much a consumable. But, and you're talking about the build surface that goes
0: on top of the aluminum slab, right? Not the aluminum slab itself?
1: Yeah, well, technically it would be, so you have the aluminum slab, then you have a magnetic sheet on top of that, and that you don't really ever have to replace. Um, then you have a thin sheet, usually it's spring steel, which is what I've got on mine, and you might have a PEI sticker on one side and a typically a textured PEI on the other. And I, I have managed to ruin those many times, and usually the reason I ruin them is because I, I'm printing PETG and forgetting to put a glue adhesive down, or TPU is another one. And if you forget to put an adhesive down that separates it, um, separates the the printed object from the surface, it can pull it so hard that it'll rip up some of the PEI. And I've done that <laughs> to pretty much every printer I've owned. So, I mean, that makes sense. The B- build services
0: yeah. being um, you know throwaway items. I mean, it just is what it is. I've got a couple of printers here Um, and again I tell my viewers don't don't follow in my footsteps I literally bought the cheapest things possible Um, but like one of my build services has to be replaced every three or four prints because I'm still printing on blue tape honestly it's been the most reliable (laughs) thing I have ever printed on blue painters tape literally the green one sucked but the blue painters tape works so well
1: that that there's no reason Yes, that the blue it's funny you mention that blue t- blue painter's tape. My very first printer was a MakerBot replicator and it this was one of these that it was literally a wooden printer, you know, the 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 printer itself was laser cut. Uh it wasn't a bad printer, but I used the same thing, a lot of blue painter's tape and I think up until about probably 4 years ago that was pretty much the go-to for everybody. Some people would maybe use glass. It didn't matter what surface you had, you'd still probably put painter's tape over it. But in the last three or four years, PEI has come a long way. Uh, there's a few other surfaces that are somewhat popular, like build tech, if you've heard of that. They're, uh, they've got a different type of surface that's kind of in between. But yeah, I mean, surfaces can be a real pain in the neck, uh, especially if you're not used to working with them. Some people swear by hairspray and doesn't matter what surface you use Just put a little hairspray on there and it's fine i personally use one called nanopolymer which is like um it's like a liquid that you put on and it it helps keep everything stuck so
0: yeah i mean my so my printer the one that uses uh, painter's tape is a tronxy or tronxy x3a okay and I did buy a couple build surfaces for it, but, but the problem is it uses an inductive probe to, yep. to home. And the inductive probe is sensitive to other kinds of metals. So you can't mm-hmm. use sheet metal uh, or else you have to add the, the, the Z offset is like plus 80 or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like ridiculously high. Um, and you, you can't use glass because even super thin glass is too thick and the inductive probe doesn't have enough adjustment to go down far enough to stop mm-hmm. uh, before it starts crushing it. So I've just been using blue painter's tape until <laughs> I can do the, uh, I basically have, I, I bought, uh, oh, geez, what's the name of that uh, that, that touch probe, uh, 3D touch, or BL touch, oh, I guess. BL touch, yeah,
1: yeah, BL touch is good. Yeah, They've been around for a while and, and are very reliable. I, I've got one of those on a Lulzbot printer. That I own called a Lulzbot Sidekick, and they're pretty good. All that's an interesting area, like the whole the Z auto leveling. That I tell you what, that has been the bane of 3D printing since I've, from my perspective, since I've been 3D printing. There's all it's getting that first layer, and that's where I'm really impressed with. Uh, I know we're talking, we're going to talk about Vorons, but I will say I recently got a Bamboo A1 Mini and. I think the, the Carbon and some of the other machines are the X1, the P1S, and so on. They're very similar, but they've, they've got some really good auto-sensing technology. And I've, I have not even had to calibrate the Z on that printer yet. So it, it's just uh, it's amazing. Yeah, we might as well talk about it, because I do know they have um, really
0: good technology for detecting uh, sort of like the line width. So, so go ahead and let us know, what, what did you see on the A1 Mini, which makes it so good at first layers?
1: yeah, it, honestly, I'm not sure exactly all the technology that's used, but I understand uh, they've got I, I believe there's a lidar sensor that they're using. Um, I know that they've got, like you had mentioned, they've got a sensor that that can kind of look. I believe that's that might maybe be using the lidar that kind of examines your your line as it extrudes to make sure that you're printing with the right extrusion multiplier. So there is a lot of cool technology in it. I don't fully understand everything, or I, I should say I don't, I'm don't. i not fully aware of all the sensors that they put in there, but they are definitely doing some really cool stuff, and I'm hoping that we see some of that replicated out into some of these open source community areas. And another one that I've seen is, uh, the, I don't know if you've heard of the Beacon, but it's using, edi, it's an eddy current sensor, so it's it's doing some really cool stuff, and it's doing it, a lot faster than some of these traditional uh, printers are are uh, are are using. So it will it'll scan your bed, get a a good layout in a matter of seconds rather than minutes that you might see with the BL Touch and some of the and the bamboo uh, sensor. So there there's some advances still being made pretty rapidly in that area. If you want, um, let's say Vorons to adopt a new sensor,
0: I'll let you know. Exactly when I buy my my Voron kit,
1: uh, and <laughs> that's when they're going to release an, a new revision. That's right. Yeah. I guarantee yeah, I it. The cool thing about, I mean, you're buying it at a good time uh, because there's also something called Voron Tap, which is a relatively new innovation. In fact, I think it's still technically in, it might be in release candidate six or something. But one, uh, when, whenever Voron goes through and releases a new technology or you know to the community they typically will use their community to and their engineering team to go through several several iterations and prove out the technology usually before we even see a beta and they've been working on tap for quite some time but tap is basically it's very similar it's it's somewhat similar to a BL touch in that it does touch the the bed but it's using an optical end stop along with A linear rail that actually has a like basically an electromagnetic uh, component to it, where it drops the sensor, drops the tool head, and it physically senses the bed. So it doesn't matter what kind of bed surface you're using. Whether to your point earlier, it could be glass, it could be um, uh, glass fiber, it could be PEI. uh, It doesn't have to be metal, and it's still going to to detect your bed surface and be able to do that auto Z and get that first layer. So they're kind of taking a little bit of a different approach, but I, I'm really excited about it. In fact, uh, it's one of my projects that I hope to get done by the end of the year and feature a tutorial on how to do it on my channel. So the uh, kit I was talking
0: to you about that I had priced out, uh, it comes with the tap leveling sensor. It Great. comes with filament run out. It comes with chamber illumination, the Nevermore air filter, the brass wire brush. Um, the input shaping ADXL 345, uh, mm-hmm. it comes with the tool head, uh, fan adapter, and breakout PCBs. It comes with all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, it's just hard to say wow. no to that price. I mean, it for those listening, it's a form bot kit on AliExpress, and it's uh, uh 1500 bucks with all the 3D printed parts, including the 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 uh, embellishing ones the the sort of finishing mm-hmm. pieces, which I don't know if I really need but but you know it's there and it's the three fifty by three fifty by three fifty so it's the big boy,
1: yeah that is a great honestly that's a fantastic price and I started building mine a couple of years ago right when two pretty much right when two two point four was coming out uh, right around the time the r two before the r two but uh, anyway. There's never a perfect time to build a Voron, as you'll find out when you build it, because they they are constantly releasing things and new features, and, and there's community mods. But everything that you just described there, uh, most of that, most of those nice-to-haves are things that have come out since I built mine. And I'm in the process now of upgrading my toolhead because tap, uh, I'm also going to wire can, um, which I don't know how familiar you are with CAN bus boards and what that gives you. I can talk a little bit about that if you want. But uh, there's a lot of really cool technology that I want to upgrade my Voron with. And you mentioned earlier, you know, you can just print it, print with it, and, and you're fine. But it's really hard to just print with a Voron because of all these enhancements that are coming out. So that's that's kind of the flip side. For sure, I'll let you talk about Ken a little bit, but first,
0: uh, I just want to give you my perspective. So, I'm an automotive mechanic by trade. Ah, uh, been so doing you can it-, talk about it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> been doing it for, I mean, I'm closing in on 20 years of experience now, and I also nice. teach automotive at the college level. Um, but for those of you listening at home, um, CAN bus is actually a very old communication technology. Um, in automotive, at least. And what I, I think the easiest way to explain it is it's just it's multiplexing. So it's being able mm-hmm. to do multiple things with just, you know, a, a pair of signal wires, basically. So mm-hmm. instead of, you know, flipping on a switch that flips on a light, um, you would basically flip on a switch that tells the computer that lights need to be turned on. And then that computer sends a CAN signal, so basically, you know, encoded zeros and ones. There's a there's a message size and all that stuff, over to another module closer to the light, and then that module will turn on the light. Now the advantage is, you can do multiple things at the same time with just you know two communication wires. So that's automotive CAN. So how about you you tell us a little bit about um, you know CAN bus as it relates to three D printers. Just a quick interruption to talk about this episode's sponsor, PCB Way. PCB Way has been a long term sponsor of the channel, and I think they're a good match for my channel because they provide quality PCBs for a reasonable price. You can get boards manufactured up to 100 mils by 100 mils for just $5. Including shipping to Canada, 15 US dollars. Including shipping to USA, 12 us dollars, which is incredibly cheap for professionally manufactured PCBs. I can personally attest to the quality of these PCBs. And so if you want a circuit immortalized forever, check out pcbway.com with the
1: link in the description. Now back to the conversation. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, and I, I think what the only thing I really have to add to that, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the application of it, because I think that's where in 3d printing, we're really seeing some, some benefit so the Voron 2.4 kit that you mentioned, uh, and, and the one that I've got now, a lot there are a lot of connections on the tool head. There are, there's a fan, there's a thermistor, there's a, a hot-end heater, there's multiple, actually there's multiple fans. There's a part cooling fan, a hot-end fan, and so on and so forth. There also are LEDs uh, that are run with NeoPixels, right? So you can configure those NeoPixels to do different lights and, and whatnot. So the nice thing about CAN that's really, I would say, kind of a just a a really good benefit for Vorons and any 3D printer is that we're going down. Like you said, the two there's really going to be four total wires. There's two for the signal, the high and the low for CAN, and then you've got your 24 volt typically, uh, 24 volt input. So your your positive and negative running to it. So instead of having, I think my current toolhead it probably has about 15 or 16 wires running from it through cable chains. Uh, cable chains are kind of a pain to set up and and wire through. Um, So CAN's going to allow me to go to something like a chain flex cable, which is in my opinion, I I like the cleaner look of a chain flex versus a cable chain. And it's also much simpler from a mechanical perspective to run that versus uh, running all the wires. And you've you've got a less you've got a much less likelihood of damaging a wire in that chain. And I, I know I've heard folks that, man, what's what's going on? I'm getting this random error, and uh, come to find out, one of their wires had uh, crimped or something, or not crimped, but uh, kinked in the cable chain, and that was the source of their problem. And you know they might have spent two or three hours just trying to get getting the multimeter out, checking continuity on on all the ends, right, and uh, just in order to to troubleshoot that. So when you have four wires to troubleshoot instead of 15 or 16 it makes things a lot simpler
0: something that i learned very recently as well is that not every wire can go into a cable chain the insulation has to be a certain hardness not to sort of uh bind in the cable chain as it as it does its flexibility but it has to be flexible enough as well to follow the cable chain so you can't yes. just put any old wire down a cable
1: chain, which is something I That's never right. knew. Yeah, and, and in fact, I mean, I I know there are, like, if you try to use uh, silicone jacketed wiring, it's not going to be as good as using PTFE or FEP wiring. And it's also even how, how well it sits in the chain. You really want it centered within the chain. If you've got too many wires in there, uh, some folks I've seen, they... They might put a zip tie on the cable that, and it happens to be in the chain. That's going to irritate the cable and cause, uh, you know, cause the cable to do, cause the wiring to degrade. There are all sorts of potential problems, and I, I'm pretty active in the Voron Discord, or at least I have been in the past. And uh, I would go into the help channels a lot and try to help people troubleshoot their issues, especially with the the Voron machines. And there there are a lot of potential issues there. And again, that goes back to what I said at the very beginning about. The, qual- the skill of the builder being a big factor in this. Oh, definitely. And
0: because, so your channel has a lot of very valuable information, but I think the video that I believe has the broadest appeal, and it also happens to be your most popular video, is which Voron should I choose? It's kind of yeah. like a more um, focused down which 3D printer should I choose. It's just if you've already decided that you want an open source printer, you want to go with the Voron team, which one should you choose? Now, I'm going to link that video in the video description. I encourage everyone to go take a look at it, but um, maybe can you give us a quick summary of, of sort of the, of what that video is about?
1: Yeah, in that video, I really talk about two of the most popular Voron models, which are the Voron Trident and the Voron 2.4, and those are very similar machines, and I kind of go through the differences of them. I also talk a little bit about the Voron Zero, which is probably, it's the smallest machine, it's also the cheapest Voron machine, but surprisingly, it's also one of the most difficult ones to build, uh, because of really because of the size and it's, it's very unforgiving if you make a mistake. So I cover a lot of that and I show them printing. I kind of compare and contrast them a little bit and and talk about my experience with them. But I I think, yeah, going into a Voron and watching that, if you're kind of on the fence, uh, it's, it's worth a watch for sure. And it'll, and it'll give you a good overview of those machines.
0: Definitely worth a watch. And I was also tempted, um, so Cyborg is a is a company that's getting a lot of attention now because they have a fantastic Voron Zero. So for those of you who don't know, Voron Zero is like a very small machine, but it's it's actually small to the point that it's, uh, it's kind of portable. You can kind of pick it up yeah. and move it around, but Cyborg has a full kit with the 3D printed parts. I don't, they're not the first ones to do this, but they're definitely the most popular ones to do this. And I think on the Canadian end, it was like 600 or $650 for for their uh, V0.2, which is uh, 0.2 revisions higher than the original (laughs) V0, basically. Um, And I thought it would have been a great entry into the Voron space because of the price point. But I'm really glad I saw your video because you do point out quite a few pain points on the build. It makes it quite challenging, like stuff like you have to slide um, <laughs> some nuts in, which you cannot yeah. slide in afterwards, and then you mount the you know the pieces, and then if you forgot one of those nuts or the order is changed, you have to disassemble a lot of the machine to get it back in. So I'm really glad that people like
1: you have made videos <laughs> like this because that was close. Yeah, that's exactly right. And fortunately, since then, since that video has been made, there has been a little bit of a development there. And LDO, LDO is another company who is very popular. They're kind of known as the high-end, uh, quali- you know, high-end quality kits. And I will say that they all they offer a lot of extras. Well, some of the one of the extras that they now offer are 15 uh, 1515 slide-in nuts, so you can kind of angle them in. So in in the the situation that you just mentioned, it's still not perfect, and I would still recommend disassembling. But if you're really in a bind and maybe you start you know it was step one of the first 10 pages in the manual and you're on page 80 um I would definitely recommend using some of those slide in nuts now they um, they're, they're going to work just fine and get you through it but prior to that you would have to disassemble it and you're still going to get a better result I think if you disassemble and and use the proper uh, nuts it, it just feel they feel a little thicker and a little more secure to me than those uh, LDO slide-in nuts, but those can help you in a bind. But yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's very forgiving when it comes to, or it's very unforgiving when it comes to building a Voron zero. The nice thing about that, though, is that Voron zero can bootstrap you into the larger Voron two point four and Trident machines, and that's really, I think, one of the reasons they they wanted to come out. One one of the reasons they came out with that model, and one of their goals is to have pretty much every part. That's functional can be printed on that Voron Zero. Now some of the cosmetic parts like the skirts and and the top hats for the the larger machines are not going to fit but it'll give you enough to get a functional machine. And and again this is what I was talking about in in our
0: pre-chat is that I was thinking of going the self-source route for the Voron kit to just order all the parts and you know print all the parts I needed but the issue is that Uh, ABS is a little bit tricky to print actually, if you don't have like an enclosure, I'm here in a very drafty, very cold basement in the middle of Canada, basically. Um, so I, I don't have the confidence, like I'm going to try it at some point, but I don't have the confidence I can pull off ABS parts in in my space. Um, do you maybe have any recommendations for someone who wants to try ABS, but maybe just has like a bed slinger that's open?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I've been in that situation myself uh, before I got into the Vorons. there, were, uh, I had I was in a similar situation. We'll just leave it at that. But some of the things that you can do, there are some... I've seen people buy grow tents uh, on Amazon that, believe it or not, are ideal for this. And if you've ever seen those, they're basically like an insulated fabric that you can... And they set up into a cube. So that's a little more on the, the, the more expensive route. Others... I've seen plenty of people simply put large cardboard boxes over their Ender-3s and maybe cut a little window in there, right? So, you can get really creative and and do it on a budget. I personally, when I was going through this, I had built a a plywood enclosure and I put some acrylic on the plywood and painted it and made it look nice. So, uh, that was how I solved the problem. I, I think I spent maybe $20, $30 in parts. But yeah, there's a lot of options. You can definitely do it. The key to being able to be successful with printing ABS or ASA, you're going to need to be able to get your bed reliably to at least 100 degrees Celsius. 110 if if you can handle it, that's going to help even more. But it's also having a a draft-free environment. So anytime you get any kind of cold air draft, or, or if your fan's a little too high or it's running variable, that can also cause warping, it can cause delamination. Uh, it, it does get tricky printing ABS. There are also some ABSs and ASAs that are, I would say, that are a little more prone to warp than others. And a lot of that just comes down to experimenting. But I will say I've I've had very good luck with Polymaker, both ABS and ASA. Uh, there there's several different versions. I know uh, I'm trying to remember the um, the Canadian ABS maker, but I know there's a a really popular one. It's escaping me at the moment, unfortunately. But uh, I, uh, I'll have to look it up. Oh, a
0: Canadian-specific makeup? Yes, of...
1: there, there's a really good Canadian manufacturer that does... I'm going to Google it real quick here. Yeah, let's do it, because I want to shout them out. Yeah, give me one second. Let's see. They make like a sparkle ABS, and it's really cool if you want to... Oh, Sparta 3D. There we go. So have you heard of Sparta 3D? I did not know they were Canadian. Yes. Yeah, they are. So they will... Uh... Yep. They will. They make some really cool sparkle ABS filament, and it'll ship to the U.S. as well. And I would recommend taking a look at them if you're going to print your own. And it's really reasonably priced.
0: So let me just see here. Now, uh, for the audience at home, I'm going to check their, their pricing. But for the audience at home, um, I'm the type who buys whatever junk off of uh, uh, Amazon. And so far, I've only had one uh, spool that I really didn't like. So... I'm usually, you know, I'm not very picky about filaments, but definitely I've had a lot of luck with uh, some. Like, for example, um, I, I had a lot of uh, luck with Overture filament. I don't yeah. know if you have an opinion on those. Oh, yeah, they're good. Yeah, I, I used to use them all the time. Yeah. Okay, so I'm looking. It seems like their uh, PLA is mm-hmm. about 25 Where whereas I... Would say that I'm into, you know, around the $20 mark when they're, you know, on sale on Amazon. So if it's a known good filament, that's actually very reasonable.
1: Yeah, it it is a little more expensive. And a lot of these vendors, um, and, and a lot of these, by the way, are in the Voron Discord. So if you're ever wondering or have a question about what works or, hey, should I try this? There's a lot of really good vendor support in there. And I believe Sparta 3D. I'm gonna check right now. They they have their own channel in the Boron Discord, so you can go check it out and and ask questions there. But yeah, you are gonna to tend to find a lot of these manufacturer or a lot of these folks that are selling uh, filaments like this. They are gonna be a little bit pricier than Amazon, not always, but I think in this case ABS tends to be a little more expensive than PLA as well, and I'm not even sure. I think you said you were looking at, were you looking at PLA just now? Yeah, PLA was yeah. about 25 bucks.
0: But but honestly, yeah. I don't mind paying a little bit more for a known good, right? Yeah. But yep. Yep. The, the thing is that I'm an iterative designer. So mm-hmm. when I make my designs, I need to 3D print them and physically hold them before I decide on changes or whatever. So that's yep. why I typically go for the cheapest uh, filament and so far so good. Yeah, but if I'm gonna have issues with warping or whatever, uh, an extra five dollars a spool to minimize that as much as possible to make it more about my skill versus like rolling the dice on filament, that's fine. Yeah. Like that's that's nothing, right? No. So that's pretty good. I'm gonna check these guys out, Sparta Three D. Yeah.
1: yeah, they're a good company, and they're they're very active in the community as well.
0: Yeah, that's actually uh, I meant to bring up uh because you said your one of your kits was an ldo kit and just hanging out on uh joel 3d printing nerds um cr- mm-hmm. christmasy or holiday yeah. uh streams uh i found out a lot of that the, that the people or the guy behind ldo is is a really good company really good guy so Yes, uh,
1: Jason probably. Right,
0: Jason from LDM. Probably, yeah. I'm not good with names. I usually have mine stitched to my shirt. Um, so. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, however, like the the what I, the feedback I hear about their kits is the same as you said that it was there's really high quality parts. You know, and there is something to be said about the quality control before it gets sent out that I can't vouch for Formbot because I haven't. Yep. I haven't ordered their stuff yet, so definitely, if someone is looking for a sort of like a a a good component selection, which is guaranteed, I I would have picked LDO. It's just that the price delta is pretty big for me, and and I'm not a production printer, so I don't care if I have to tweak my Voron a little bit to work. So that's why I'm personally going to go probably with FormBot. My decision has been made, but hasn't been made yet, but that's probably what I'm looking at.
1: Yeah, and to be honest with you, I've I've done a lot of research on this. I've worked with most of the kit vendors. In fact, most of them have sent me uh, hardware, including LDO, Cyborg, and some of the U.S. vendors, like West3D, who make their own kits. and And I will say that the big difference that I see with like the cyborgs, um I've never do- built a Formbot kit, or at least not yet, so I can't really speak exactly to them. But based on the feedback that I've heard and other folks that have built them, I think they're they're kind of in a similar boat. And I know Formbot tends to they do tend to make changes a lot. They tend to swap components in and out. But I do believe that everything that I'm seeing on their uh, current bomb, it looks good, and I, I've heard uh, I know uh, Albert from 24-7 Printing, who does a lot of speed benchies, if you ever watch his stuff he's been a big proponent of FormBot, and he's, I think uh, Stefan, uh, you mentioned him earlier um, he's built a few of them, and I, I think they're fine, right? They're The different, the main difference between an LDO kit and maybe one of the, the cyborgs of the FormBots is that you're going to get genuine, authentic parts, so instead of some of the clone BonTech gears, you're going to get actual BonTech years from BonTech. You're going to get an E3D Revo hot end instead of a, uh, I, I call it the Chineseium hot ends, right? Where they're 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 okay. They'll get you they'll get you through it, but they're not going to be high flow and <laughs> they may be a little flaky. Uh, the thermistors may go out pretty early. Um, so there there's definitely some trade-offs, but overall, you're going to you're going to be fine. But just expect that you may have to replace some of those parts sooner rather than later. And
0: let's not forget with the LDO kit, you get LDO motors, which are supposed to be really yes. high quality as well.
1: Yeah, LDO motors are are definitely up there, and I'm not sure some of the other ones, like the Cyborg kit that I I had, they were white labeled. I mean, it, it said Cyborg on some of them. I think a few of them might have been Moons. So it's it's kind of like probably whatever they can get their hands on, right? But it'll it'll work. I know that the Cyborg motors that I had on my Voron zero two kit. They were fine, but they also made, at a little bit higher speed, when I really pushed it, they made a little bit more of a chirping sound. And I was like, what is that? And that seems a little odd. But uh, they, I think they've since, you know, maybe swapped out some of those motors. That is one of the other nice things, is a lot of these vendors, especially Cyborg, they listen to the community feedback, and they will make adjustments for future kits, and they'll work with you if, if something's not right. FormBot, I believe they're the same way. If you get a part that's not right and, and need a replacement, they they should be able to work with you and send you a new one. Oh, well, I think we're going to find out. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah.
0: you, you were, I did warn you that you were supposed to talk me off the ledge so I don't <laughs> order
1: one, but I, I, I don't think you've done a good job so far. No, I, I got to say, I, and I think at that pr- r- price range, that is a great deal. The only one that I've seen cheaper from time to time is there's Matter. I don't know if Matter Hackers has a Canadian... Uh, Location or not, but they they recently had some di- some heavy discounts on those Voron kits, and the last I checked, they were out of stock. But I think I saw the Trident for around eight or nine hundred US, which is really good. And that's the Trident, right? I think the Voron Two Four is still in the thousands. I, but the Trident uh, does tend to be a little cheaper. Just just to show you how um, how much research I've been doing, I
0: just typed Matter Hackers into into my, uh, search bar on, on Chrome and I put M A T T and then it auto completed to the Voron design core X Y FDM 3d printer. So apparently I have visited matter hackers to take a look yeah. at the LDO kit. Cause again, the LDO kit, because of the good, uh, I've never heard any bad stuff about, about the LDO kit. And, yeah. uh, Joel gave his, uh, gave his blessing on it. And, you know, people like you have built them with great success. So that's actually what, what I was looking at at first. Um, so yeah, I have <laughs> I have looked at it, but it's on a pre-order right now.
1: Yeah, and, and they are great kits. And they were really, I will say, the first to, to, I hate to say the first to legitimize kits, but honestly, that's what they did. Because up until about two years ago, um, you pretty much had to self-source your boron. And self-sourcing was a pain in the neck. And uh, you, you might spend for that, let's say $1,500 uh, price today in, the, in a kit, you might spend $2,000 on the same thing self-sourcing just because of all the shipping and all the, you know, you're not getting the, the bulk discounts like a lot of those manufacturers get. But LDO really proved that you could get a high quality, good product um, and and get a good machine out of it. Right. And I think some of the, the other lower cost vendors who were kind of experimenting and doing that, but they were cutting a lot of corners for a while. But once they saw what LDO did, they kind of copied some of that and updated their their bill of materials to reflect more of what the Voron bomb is really should be. So things have come a long way in, in the last couple of years. And I think uh, one thing that you'll hear if you go on the Discord is that there's no official Voron kit. And and that's true, because Voron, you're not building a spec Voron, you're building your Voron, if that makes any sense. And people frequently point that out because every Voron is going to be unique. That that's right. I believe that's one of their taglines. They say you're not building
0: uh, yeah. a Voron, you're building your Voron, or some, something right. like that. Yeah. So
1: yeah, and and there are so many permutations out there. Uh, you name it, motors. I mean, every component is pretty can be different and probably is unless you're going to buy like an LDO kit. Where and that is one of the benefits. You buy an LDO kit. There's an LDO channel uh, that they'll give you support from other people as well as the the folks that are involved with the manufacturer. So we talked a lot about 3D
0: printers and stuff, but um, I believe in one of your videos you mentioned that you you make 3D prints uh, commercially. Is that did I miss here, or are you are you selling prints at some point? You
1: know, at one point, I dabbled in that a little bit, but I've not really done a whole lot of that. I um, At one point, you might have saw a video on some of my laser cutting. I, I did have a small laser cutting business for a while, um, and I combined some 3D printing with that, but I, I've kind of gotten out of that. I, I have a pretty busy day job, and I, I think the reason I got the laser cutter and some of these other tools was more from a hobby interest, right? And I I tried to monetize it. Once I pretty much broke even, I was like, yeah, I think I'm done with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't pay me to monetize my hobbies at this point. The the only thing is the YouTube channel itself. Yeah. Um, But but that's only because of sponsorships. Uh, Right. AdSense is, yeah, AdSense is pennies. Um, Okay, so... Um, that being said, what kind of background do you have? Because um, when I watch your videos, you're quite technical. And just during our pre-chat, I mean, I can tell you're, you're very good, um, possibly with your hands, but the theoretical stuff seems to be
1: quite come quite natural to you. So what do you do for your day job? Uh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, actually, uh, so from an early age, I was... I've been in pretty much interested in technology ever since I can remember, and I, uh, a lot of that has been in the area of computers, and uh, if you if you were, I don't, I'm don't i not sure what your age is, but I was around in the late uh, 80s, early 90s when um, things called bulletin board systems were around as a teenager, and I was like, man, I think I'll set one of these up, so I ran a, a multi-line bulletin board system from my house as a kid, and I and, uh, had some fun, and that was kind of my First foray into—I uh, well, wouldn't say first—but that's really where I—I I developed a lot of interest in computers, technology, software development, and that's my background. So professionally, I started out—I started my career out as a software developer, and 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 I also am still in that um, in that industry. So I, I work in software development. I lead a team of developers and uh, other technologists that are related. So. Some of some of my past jobs, I've been lucky enough to be able to incorporate drones, three D printing, and even custom electronics. That's that's always been more of a side thing, but for the most part, yeah, I'm I'm focused kind of on the the software side and and branched out to the hardware, just more out of interest than anything.
0: So an actual wizard, again, as I call you coders on my on my <laughs> channel, I I mean most my my viewers already know this, um, but um, coding and I, my brain does not comprehend it. Like I try and I try and I try. And as far as I can get is just mashing together example code and sort Mm -hmm. of doing Arduino stuff, which is perfect, you know, for the simple part of simple electronics, because uh, there's no way, I mean, I made WordPress websites and I do Arduino stuff. And that is about it so i hats off to
1: people who can actually do meaningful coding no i hear you and it it has been beneficial because i will tell you that most people that are in 3d printing they use fusion 360 or tinkercad or i've even heard blender i don't know how familiar you are with cad packages but those are the packages that you use to design 3d printing which of course goes along very nicely with uh the hobby, um, but I, I use one called OpenSCAD, which is um, all programming. So you, I literally write code to design all my 3D models. But it, it's just something that is easier for me than dragging and dropping and using a GUI to do. But it, it, there's, I think, you, like any hobby, you know, you tend to see a lot of overlap, and there are definitely a lot of folks from the IT side. Um, I've seen a lot of CNC machinists. You know, it, it's kind of interesting how there's pockets of of different people and, and, uh, we all tend to flock together at some point, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, open SCAD there. There's no,
0: I can make a sphere. I can make a box and that's about it. I just, yeah. I cannot.
1: I'm it's more. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Everybody has a different you know, approach to that. And I, I've been wanting to learn fusion 360. I've dabbled with it and I really need to learn it because there are things that would be a heck of a lot easier to create. Uh, with that tool, than it would be with OpenSCAD.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm your man. Fusion 360 <laughs> is it just works the way my brain works. You draw yeah. a 3D image, and then you grab it and you pull it north, and then, and then you yeah, draw exactly. on the side of it and cut holes into it. That's easy.
1: But OpenSCAD, that's yeah. that's the beast I just cannot slay. I know, it's funny. It's just funny how dif- brains are wired differently. Cause I, I open up that software and I'm like, I get 747 syndrome where I'm looking around the screen. I'm like, what the heck do I click on? To You know, I'd, I'd rather just type the code in, right. And get it to generate. So,
0: yeah, I've made right this, uh, offer to multiple makers before. And, uh, I don't think anybody's taking me up on it yet, but if you want to do like a half hour session or an hour session, I can I, I will get you from uh, you know complete noob to usable <laughs> in Fusion Three Hundred and Sixty easily. I may have to take you up on that at some point. <laughs> I, it's a genuine offer. It's not because yeah. you're here on the podcast. Like I I really uh, my philosophy, uh, and I guess that kind of works. Uh, you know, because I'm kind of a professor at, at yeah. college. My philosophy is that knowledge should be free and mm-hmm. it should be available to anyone who wants it. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I am more than willing to uh, teach a couple people and because what that does to me is it helps me see my blind spots where I'm not quite sure, where I'm not being clear about my explanations. And then once my blind spots are figured out, then I can make a sort of all encompassing quick tutorial and put on, on YouTube. But if you don't no, have that knowledge, I feel like those
1: tutorials are not as good. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. and and i I applaud you for doing that. And I know that's always been a passion of mine as well. And related to the software development side, a lot of my some of my content on my channel is kind of supports uh, that that philosophy. Um, and And really, my philosophy for a while has been, share what you know, share your passion with others, get others excited about it. Uh, one of the things that I've been involved with in the past, although I stepped down recently from it just because of life and everything else going on, but was a software development conference that we would run every year in Sandusky, Ohio, of all places, a conference called CodeMash. And we we draw about, eh, it used to be around 2,500 or so uh, developers, from mainly from the Midwest, but... One of the things that we did there was we set up a makerspace, and that was one of the things that I helped organize. But a lot of the projects, you mentioned um, Arduino, and, and uh, we did a lot of that and helped teach people how to solder uh, some electronics theory, you know, one-on-one type stuff. And also, one of my personal favorites was messing, up, messing around with a Adafruit Blue Fruit, and uh, we, I did a couple of sessions on that last year, which or a couple of years ago now. But yeah, so I agree with you. and, and that that whole uh, teaching aspect of it is definitely it just really does a lot, right? It really makes you feel like you're you're helping. And uh, at least for me, it it's a good place to be when I'm able to share that passion with others and see them gain something from it
0: one hundred percent. And like, I stand on the shoulders of of giants, right? Like I, yeah. The only reason I know as much about electronics as I do because I am self-taught was because of you know Big Clive and Julian Eilert and uh, the really old AVE stuff. And oh yeah. I yeah. picked up electronics from them, mind you. I had a little bit of a base. You kind of need it in uh, in yeah. automotive, but it didn't go deep enough. And seeing uh, Julian. You know, work with um, modules or seeing uh, Big Clive breakdown circuits and seeing AVE uh, doing ridiculous things like piggybacking two stepper motor drivers to double the current output. I mean, that was the sort of the formation of my electronics, my in-depth electronics knowledge. So, because I stand on the, on their shoulders, I yeah. want to share because there's probably someone else like me who. Uh, can't find those videos because of whatever algorithmic reasons or, or whatever. Yep. So yeah, I want to, and plus, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have kids. I'm never having kids. This is my gift to the world.
1: It's amazing. And it's, it's really enjoyable. I've been going through your channel and listening to some of the past podcasts and it's, it's great. And I, I wish I can still remember when I was, a I I was probably 10 years old getting one of those 101 electronics kits, right. And man, we've come a long way since then <laughs> and what's available. I wish that I only wish it was available when I was, uh, you know, 10 year old kid with compared to what we have now. Crazy. So the, uh, the,
0: the amount of, uh, possibilities today. Yeah. Well, it's much appreciated and I'm sure a lot of folks
1: are gaining uh, benefit from it.
0: So I have a question that I typically give to all my guests. If you've listened to the podcast, depending on which ones you listen to, you may have heard it, but can I throw it to you now?
1: Sure, yeah.
0: So the question goes, you get like a grant. So think unlimited funds to start the mm-hmm. business of your dreams. It doesn't have to be profitable because you're being funded, but it does have to provide a service or a product. What kind of business do you start?
1: Oh man. <laughs> That's a great question. I I would probably I I think I would at this point in time, I would probably do something with 3D printing. And I would probably I, I'm involved professionally in the agricultural agricultural industry, and um, I don't know that I would do a whole lot different in terms of uh, what I'm doing today. But it, but in terms of a an actual business, if I were to kind of run and do my own thing, I think it would really I think it'd be really cool to explore sort of that combination of 3D printing uh, technology and and agriculture. And I know. That may not be exciting to everybody, but uh, it, it is interesting when you take some, take one of the oldest things that's been around, growing corn and and uh, wheat and, and whatnot, and uh, harnessing technology. I know we talked about drones in the pre-chat a little bit, but some of the advances there with just being able to fly your drone over a field and see what the crop yields might be based on the soil and the infrared signature of the plants and and so on. I think there's a a lot of really cool things you could do there. Um, I was in the solar industry before this, and and we did a little bit of of that with the within solar as well. So I, I think um it's I'd probably have a better answer if I could prepare a little more and think about it. But I think for now that's that's what I'd probably do is invest in some kind of a ag tech company. No, uh, no preparation. That's the point of the question. Yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> However, I will tell you that what you said is super cool. Like I know you were kind of soft on it because you were afraid it wasn't cool, but it's super cool. <laughs> and in fact, if you are enjoying the podcast, and this is for all the listeners as well, um, about a year ago, I had a guest called Aisha on, and hmm. she works for a. I think I think they're a startup, but they're in Colorado. And she is a, uh, I'm pretty sure she's an electronics engineer working on uh, robots that pick strawberries autonomously.
1: Wow, that is cool. Yeah, she is super cool. So I will send you
0: that link and I'll put it in the uh, show notes as well. Um, But I pick her brain on, on sort of robotics and agriculture and what she likes about it, but the the thing is this is i i believe if i remember correctly to the conversation i believe it's a four-wheeled robot with like like a scara like arm on it with a oh, there we go yeah. with a camera with uh, a ai detection so it knows not only where the strawberry is in space but it also can figure out if it's ripe enough or not and then it picks it and then they come back home drop off their load and and charge up so this kind of stuff is so cool, especially, I mean, everybody's got to eat, right? And farming tasks are backbreaking labor in ridiculous conditions. And so, yeah, ag robots, I think is where the future is. So yeah, not only is your answer cool, but it's incredibly cool.
1: Yeah. And honestly, there's another, you, you, you just uh, made something pop into my head and I, I sent it to you, but It's the LDO actually has a technology. I think it's um, LDOs. I got to double check, but it's the farm bot and it's basically allowing you to kind of program into your, uh, your app, what plants you want to garden. That may not be the exact one that that they're doing, but these things are starting to to pop up and, and I just love it. The, you know, just how we're taking advantage of technology to do things like this and, you know, it's good for the good for the earth and good for the people right 100 <laughs>
0: percent I love it uh th- this is this is right up my alley uh farmbot is a little bit further than I would have gone but I've been historically yeah. pretty crap about keeping my vegetable garden um, I know. together yeah. so <laughs> I was thinking of making automated sprinklers uh, and maybe having a pie with a camera so I can just uh, time lapse yeah. the, the 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 growth but I mean, this is the next uh, next evolution of that. So just for those of you listening at, at home, uh, basically think of um, of a laser, I would say a laser cutter because it sort of has a gantry that goes across a, a bed, a planted garden bed. Mm-hmm. And the gantry moves over the bed and goes and waters the individual plants. And there's sort of like a web UI where it looks a little bit like Stardew Valley. You just drop the type of plants you you put, you know, and where in the grid and it does detection. It does all sorts of cool stuff like that. And it looks like it's open source, which is
1: even better. Yeah, And and I, I want to say it's open source. And I also believe it's fairly reasonable price wise. And I, I need to. I need to see if I can fit one in my yard because uh, I'd love I would love to try one of these out. But I'm, I, yeah. Here we go. cost. I'm gonna look at the cost real quick. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's roughly. Yeah, I don't know. It look, I'm not sure. What, I don't see a easy answer on it. I'm not even sure if it's available yet. But it is pretty impressive. And if you're into gardening, that's another one of my hobbies. So, similar to you. It sounds like uh, with with what you're doing. I, <laughs> every year I kind of struggle and and I I wish I could just have that perfect garden, right? Oh, here we go. FarmBot Express costs approximately $2,000 for a kit. So if, if it costs that, I don't know if that's actually the price. So in the winter here, that's like three heads of lettuce. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a dream of my wife and I's to, um, we have a very narrow, but long property. We're, we live in a town home so our, oh, I think our yeah. property is about 30 feet across, which is, uh, you know, small, uh, and, yeah. but it's very long and, and, mm-hmm. um, we've always dreamed of having the whole backyard turned into a greenhouse and then, you know, be able to farm all year round. Cause, uh, basically in Canada, you've got mm, four months of good weather and then the rest yeah, is kind of uh, dreary and cold. And You're in Ottawa, so you're quite a ways North as well right yeah. yeah yeah we're not in that little bit of Canada that that <laughs> sticks into the U.S. there the little arrow of Ontario yep yeah and I'm closer to that because uh, we're, we're just on the other side of Lake Erie <laughs> yeah although it has been a quite a mild December and it's not really a simple electronics podcast without talking about the weather so yeah it's
1: been nice so far but we'll see where it goes I'm
0: I don't know <laughs> Um, listen, is there, is there any, uh, closing thoughts you, you want to leave the
1: uh, viewers with? You know, the only other thing I had on my, on my list was, uh, I'll just mention one other really exciting project that I've been involved with and try to help out with at least for the last couple of years. And it's the IC3D Toys for Tots printing campaign, a uh, 3D printing campaign. And what we do every year, there's a goal, uh, that, that we call them elves, right? A bunch of uh, folks that volunteer to do these prints sign up and say, I'm going to commit X amount of prints. This year I signed up for about 400, uh, which probably doesn't seem like a lot, but when you've got a small print farm and you, you have a day job, it can take some time to generate that amount. But I, um, it, it's a really great opportunity for just helping the community and and getting those toys out there to the kids in need. And it's something that if you get a chance, check it out, but just Google, uh, and I'll, I'll send you the link, but it's the IC3D toys for tots printing campaign. I'll put it in the uh, show notes and, uh, and the
0: description for anybody listening. Um, but yeah, um, I can tell that your perspective is warped uh, a little bit because you're surrounded by 3D printers.
1: Because 400 prints is a lot of prints. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. What. Good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can. Uh, I, I mean, I think I used four printers to produce that, and it took. Usually, you've got a window of about maybe two to three months um, to print these. So, because what they do is they there there are makers out there that. That that will actually donate their designs, and then you, and then they ask that everybody prints their designs with certain parameters to make sure that they're consistent. So, but yeah, it's uh, you're right. It's definitely a little skewed there. (laughs) And
0: um, can you just explain to to the audience who may want to join this? Like, what kind of three D prints are you typically printing for this kind of stuff?
1: They are what I've printed a bunch of this year. It was articulated dolphins. So, they are basically just like what it sounds like a dolphin, and it's got like kind of little joints in between each of the segments, and they flux around. They also have octopus and they have alligators. Uh, There's little toy trains with movable wheels, which those are really cool, but they they take a lot longer to print. And then they have some real simple designs like um, little penguins or chameleons. So, they're all kind of kid friendly designs. and they're, some of them, I, I got to admit, some of them are a little more challenging to print and to get set up and to tune. So it does take a little work to even, even a stock bamboo printer. Yeah. You might have to make a few setting tweaks to get these things printing, but it's fun and it's for a good cause. Right. I'm not too familiar, but,
0: um, is there any instances of those? I don't know if, if, I don't know the names of them, but you basically print them in a sheet and then the yeah. the kids pop things apart and then they can slot them together to make models any of that going on
1: yeah not in this campaign i think you're talking about like i think they call it a key card or a printed card but yes i know exactly i've seen uh, the like the millennium falcon is uh, really cool and there there's one of those but yeah this one they're all they are print in place so when you print them you don't have to assemble them you just pull them off the bed and they they move around as as intended Gotcha. And you
0: reminded me of something when you said, uh, octopus, because I meant to ask you since there's a lot of like those raspberry Pi sort of controlling your printer solutions, oh, yeah. I, I meant to ask you, which one do you prefer and why? Because I think the two main ones are octopi and clipper. Uh, yes, and I do want to preface this by telling the audience that I think they're both really good. I just mm-hmm. would like, be, because they're so good, I'm I'm just asking Greg for his opinion on those little differences. So which one do you recommend?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I so Clipper is going to be nine times out of 10, unless you're going to go really off script, you're going to be installing the Clipper firmware into your Voron printer. So every Voron printer will be running that. But now you've got a choice on... How do you want to access your printer? Um, and OctoPrint is a is is one interface that you can pick, and it's basically going to run on your Raspberry Pi and serve you a web interface that you can then connect to the firmware, the Clipper firmware on. So that that is a great option if you are a Marlin user primarily, and Marlin's just another firmware that's used on Prusa. Printers and some of I'll say some of the older printers or some of the printers like Creality Enders and and whatnot. So that's still a very popular firmware. It's been around the longest and it's it's a it's a little bit different than Clipper. Clipper's relatively new and it's uh, just got a whole different set of assumptions on how it's built and underlying architecture. But without getting going into the the underlying details there, you can use Octopi to print from Clipper and a lot of people that have used Marlin based printers. Um, are familiar with that interface? I will say, most people that are printing on Vorons tend to use what's called mainsail or fluid, and those are the two web interfaces that are incl- that you you can choose to install on in your Raspberry Pi as well. So either way, you're going to be using a web-based interface to interface with your Clipper firmware. It's it's really just up to the end user on what they want to use, and I and I think there's really you can there's feature parity across both. So you can do 90% of the same things on OctoPrint that you can do on Fluid or Mainsail. The difference is the look and feel is completely different. And I will also say there may be a few features uh, like Object Exclude. I'm not sure if that's available in OctoPrint yet, but um, that that gives you the ability to like click a part on your bed that's printing and say, nope, I don't want you to print that anymore because it failed. <laughs> But OctoPrint also has some really good features like the spaghetti detective, right? That allows you to detect if, if you have a camera to detect if there's a print failure. Clipper may have that too, but I don't use it. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but hopefully that gets to the to what you were looking
0: for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And i just just curious, which one do you... I think you said you use mainsail mostly. Yeah,
1: yeah, I... I've been using mainsail on all my printers. Fluid is very similar. It's just maintained by a different developer. And I think I would say mainsail is probably a little more active. They're both open source product projects. I think Main has had a little more um, activity in terms of contributions in the last year or two fluid used to be a little more popular before that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I really appreciate the knowledge you're, you're
0: dropping on my listeners here, um, but I would say um, this is just a little fraction of what's available on um, Greg's YouTube channel, which is linked in the description. I would like all you listeners to go and have a listen. And especially if you follow uh, some of his guides and find some of his videos very useful, I would like you to consider if you got a couple extra bucks to go onto his, uh, I think it's called Buy Me a Coffee. I, I don't know how to, how to say
1: that if it's not, me, oh, yeah, coffee I have a Ko fi, yeah, probably yeah. the Ko fi page. I'm not, I, honestly, I'm not even sure how you pronounce it, it might be coffee too, but uh, but yeah, I signed up on that a while ago, and yeah, feel free to check that one out. Yeah, so definitely check out
0: his YouTube channel, and uh, if you have a couple extra bucks, definitely um, go check out his support page. Um, but Greg, thank you so much for joining me and um, failing to get me to not buy a Voron today.
1: <laughs> Dan, best of um, luck to you, and it's it's been a, a real pleasure being on your channel, and, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Sounds great. And on, honestly,
0: people, do go check out his YouTube channel, please. And if you have extra 3D printing capabilities, uh, maybe check out the uh, Toys for Tots, uh, the IC3D Toys for Tots uh, printing Uh, thing linked in the description below. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch you on the next one.